Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, team, for that. Great is thy faithfulness. And she's right. God is good all the time. We need to be reminded of that. We need to be able to share that good news. There's so much bad news and bad things. Uh, as I go into my session today on church and politics, I was at the gas pump yesterday. I'm amazed at how, how easy it is at the gas pump for people that don't even know each other to talk about it, right? The guy was filling up his truck and I was filling up my truck and uh, he's like, man... And I said, yeah, man. And then we started talking about the price again. And all of a sudden it just hit me. I don't know if it's the Holy Spirit or if it's just uh, thinking about the message today. How come it's so easy to talk about negative politics and we don't talk about Jesus? So I thought, I just talked to this man for about 35 seconds about the price of gas. I should let him know that there are some good things too. And so I looked at him and I said, but you know, (laughs) but you know. All things are okay. God is in charge and He's my Savior and I'm happy, I'm happy that I know Him. And, and I thought, man, wouldn't it be better if Christians could do that? Talk about Jesus. Talk about Jesus. And, uh, great is His faithfulness. Thank you for that. And I, I just, uh, I, you know, you guys are blessed. Meg is a church pianist. She can do it. I just told, I told her, I said, flourish. Just flourish the snot out of that, man. Cause I love hearing the church pianist play. You too, Cheryl. You'd probably, we need you up here too. Yeah. Give Meg a hand. I appreciate Meg. Thank her. All of our musicians, not easy also for the drummer when we go into hymns, right? Colton probably would let you know, not easy to use the drums on the hymns, but they're all very, very talented. And so Meg, we just lifted you up and I wanted to do that because I forgot to ask you to play for communion. So I built her up so I can get her to come back up and play for communion later on. Okay. All right. Friends, we are starting this series and I, (laughs) oh, I love the fact that you either love me or you're scared to death by me. So many people are worried and nervous. Don't be worried and nervous. Uh, It is called the elephant in the room. uh, And it's because there are topics that we don't usually touch. We usually avoid them and they're big issues. But don't be afraid. I'm not afraid. Uh, Here's my plan, just so you know. Uh, Even when we talk about church and politics, I'm not going to talk about politics. I'm going to talk about the church and politics and what does God have to say. And that's how we're going to do all of these tough topics. Please don't get up and leave if you don't like something. That's just inappropriate. It's just not right. Because my plan is to preach what does God have to say on this topic? And then how do we apply truth and grace to that? That's what truth is. God's opinion on any matter. (laughs) That's truth. Grace is something that we as believers then apply to everything like tough topics. And so stick around. If I say something while I'm preaching God's word that you don't like, take that up with him later. But then stick around for how we apply grace to that. Uh, I believe that we as believers must live life both in truth and grace. If you take truth out of any equation and just apply grace, that doesn't, that doesn't glorify God. But if you just put down the hammer of truth and don't apply the salve of grace, then you're just uh, uh, not being loving as God is loving. So truth and grace. In my office, if you come see me, behind me on the window is a uh, wooden statue of Moses and the law, and then Jesus on the other side. It's both law and grace, truth and grace. And the Bible has both. 
So please stick around. Don't be angry. And I want to say as we start the series, uh, you don't have to agree. That's the beautiful thing. Oakwood is not a, a congregation where we say you must agree with everything that the pastor says. You don't have to. But we, we encourage you to, to be Christian enough to apply grace even when you think uh, something is not right. So uh, I'm okay. You'll be okay. I'm not preaching this to uh, start any problems. Trust me. Uh, I've been a pastor for over 30 years. I know people get mad at me. I know. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Uh, But I I don't wish you to. And I don't want to give you reason to. So that's not why we're doing this at all. Matter of fact, before we pray and start, I want to give you the idiom because I love uh, English language and things. And I'm always amazed at sayings. Like, do you know where the the phrase elephant in the room came from? There is a reason why there's a saying, the elephant in the room. It actually refers to a, uh, a fable written by Ivan Kalav in 1814. He wrote the fable entitled, The Inquisitive Man. Let me just read you a little bit of it, okay? And then I'll give you the gist. Good day, my dear friend. Where do you come from? From the museum where I've spent three hours. I saw everything they have there. I've examined it carefully. So much have I seen to astonish me that if you will believe me, I am neither strong enough to clever enough to give you a full description of it. Upon my word, it is a palace of wonders. How rich nature is an invention. What birds and beasts haven't I seen there? What flies and butterflies and cockroaches and little bits of beetles? Some like emeralds, others like coral. And what tiny cochineal insects? Why, really, some of them are smaller than a pin's head. But did you see the elephant? What did you think it looked like? I'd be bound you felt as if you were looking at a mountain. Are you quite sure it's there? Quite sure. Well, brother, you mustn't be too hard on me, but to tell you the truth, I didn't remark the elephant. So what happened in this story was that a man went to a natural history museum and got so caught up in the fine details of all the exhibits, he didn't realize in the middle of the room was this gigantic elephant. He never saw it. And thus comes the saying, you miss the elephant in the room, right? You can focus on all the small fine details, but don't miss the elephant that's in the room. You should have seen it. And that's where this whole saying comes from. It has to do with uh, it's a metaphorical idiom. It has to do with important or enormous topics or controversial issues. And so that's where we're going to be today in this series, The Elephant in the Room. We're going to talk today about the church and politics. We're going to look at these two passages. You can get your Bibles open and meet me there, or it will be on the screen that you can follow there. But I want to say this. Don't worry. We're going to preach the word first, and then I'll come back and I'll define what the church is and what politics is. And if you read my uh, statement on uh, yesterday's email about the separation of church and state, uh, to give you an understanding, the First Amendment uh, does not use the word separation of church and state. And the reason why we do have a separation of church and state is so that government does not control religion. The whole reason why we have a separation of church and state is because when they came over to this new land, they were coming from a land who had a a state church, the Church of England, which is the Episcopal Church today. Uh, It was a state-run church. And so they came and said, we don't want a state-run religion we want freedom of religion. Therefore, they in the First Amendment, they were given a separation of church and state, even though it's not used in those framework, so that the government would not interfere in politics, or the government would not interfere in religion. Over the years, somehow, it's morphed into no religion in government. 
And that was never the intention that the First Amendment had in place. We have turned it into a separation of church from government, and God has something to say about government. Let me just give you a little surprise. I'm giving away the whole series. God has something to say on every issue. And he has something to say about politics, and he has something to say about governments. And so we'll look at what he has to say in Scripture about them. But boy, things certainly do change over time. Let's pray this morning, and we'll go into our first week. Would you pray with me? If you just say these words in your heart, you don't have to say them out loud. God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. Just give that prayer to God. God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. And God, may you be glorified. May everyone hearing this message be edified. And may Satan be horrified. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you're getting yourself to Mark chapter 12. We'll start there. I've already been handing these out today. Men, if you haven't got your invitation, we want you to come to our first grill and chill of the summer. It's at my house this Saturday from 6 to 8. want you to be there. And then just so that you know, we have a membership meeting right after the service today. At our closing song, we'll dismiss those who aren't members, who aren't staying for the meeting. You'll be able to leave during the last song. And those of you who are members, you'll also be able to leave during the song to go get your children so they can be back in five minutes. Not going to hurry. We're not going to rush. I have to do a wedding in Grand Rapids at three. Okay. Just letting you know. Full disclosure. All right, let's go. So we are talking about the church and politics. Let me read. You follow along. Mark chapter 12. Later, they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to catch Jesus in his words. They came to him and said, teacher, We know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. But you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew the hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me? He asked. Bring me a denarius. Let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, Whose image is this? Whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God. And they were amazed at him. I'll throw on the screen something for you to look at for a while. This is an actual denarius from that time period with uh, Tiberius Augustus. It wasn't Caesar Augustus. Tiberius Augustus, his son, is, is in charge at this point. And this is the coin of that period. I'll explain the inscription. Because in this passage, Jesus says a lot about government, believe it or not. I think you can miss it if you don't read it and understand it. But we'll talk through it a little bit this morning. First, Who are these two teams? Well, the Pharisees and Herodians were sent by the ruling body of the Jews. Now, that's the Sanhedrin. Now, this is an unholy alliance. This is an unbelievable group. This is like Black Lives Matter and the police department coming together to go together on some issue. This is like, I don't know, you can name all the the kind of uh, controversial two groups that would not do anything together. The, The Pharisees and the Herodians hate each other. Herodians supported the rule of the Herods, that's why they're called Herodians, and they despised by the Jews, especially the Pharisees. 
the Pharisees were all about Jewish law, and the Herodians were like, let's do whatever the, the Rome wants. And, and so these two groups did not agree on anything. However, they agreed on let's trap Jesus. They both united to get Jesus, right? And so they come to him and ask him this baited question. Should the Jews pay their taxes or not? Now, the reason why this is a brilliantly thought out uh, question was because if Jesus said, definitely not, do not give your money to this unholy government, this unrighteous government, don't do it. We need to rebel and overthrow them in insurrection. If Jesus had said that, Rome would have come in, probably taken his life. The Jews hated paying these taxes. By the way, it is called an imperial tax. Rome citizens didn't pay these taxes. These are just taxes on people that are in Rome that aren't from Rome. These are the people that they didn't like, and so they put heavy taxes on them. And so they're given good money. By the way, a denarius is one day's wage. Wouldn't it be great in America if we only paid taxes equivalent to one day's wage? I don't know what it is now. We won't get into that. Remember, we're not talking politics. Jesus is ask whether they should pay the taxes or not. If he said no, Rome would come kill him. If he said yes, the Jews are going to throw a fit because the Jews hate paying the taxes. Many of them thought, this is an ungodly government. We don't support it. Why should we give our money to support an unholy government? Maybe you've heard that kind of reasoning today. Jesus simply says, number one, I know what you're up to, which is great. He knows all things. And then he says, bring me a coin. One thing I have to point out that isn't, clear in the passage that needs to be clear is Jesus didn't have a coin. Let that sink in for a little bit. Jesus had to say, somebody bring me a coin. He had nothing. So they bring him a coin and this is what they bring him, heads and tails. Tiberius Augustus. On this coin on one side, it it gives his inscription by his face is there and he says, whose image is on it? And they say, Caesar's. And then what is the inscription? Don't miss that because Jesus knew exactly what these coins said. On the one side, it points out his name. On the other side, you might see something that it says Pontius Maximus. On the back side of the coin, it points to the deity of Caesar. On the back side of the coin is Tiberius Augustus on a godly throne. And Pontiff... His father, Maximus, is Almighty Father, Almighty God. He is proclaimed to be Almighty God. So the Jews are saying, the the coin itself is wrong. We shouldn't be giving this and using it. And and Jesus' answer was great. Give to Caesar's what's Caesar's. And give to God what's God's. So, I won't give my point yet. I want to go to Romans 13. Let's turn to the next passage, Romans 13, where we hear a little bit about government. And then I'll make points after all these. In Romans 13, which I won't spend a lot of time on today because we're in the book of Romans, right? And when I get to chapter 13, I don't want to have nothing to say. So I'm just going to briefly touch this so we can touch on it in length when we get to Romans 13, sometime in 2028. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against God, what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. 
Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. What do we see in this passage briefly? God is sovereign over all government authorities. Did you hear that? God is sovereign. God is on the throne. There is no president who sits on the throne. God remains on the throne. We might not like what comes from a certain ruler, but God put them there. We have to establish that. God puts leaders in place, even the terrible ones. Christians must live as good citizens within the government structures which exist. Period. We must live as good citizens. We are not of this world. We are not citizens here. We are foreigners. If anything, we can use the term Christians are international. <laughs> We're international. But we live here. We must be good citizens. We may benefit from whatever rules or rights the governing authorities grant, such as Julius Caesar granted Jewish synagogues. So they had places to worship, even there in oppressive Rome. So you can benefit. We're not promised a religious ruling utopia. In the two passages that talk about governments today, I want to point out something that's very obvious that you might miss. When talking about government, God never tells us to demand our own government. Separation of church and state is to keep government out of church business. But at the same time, the church does not have a right to say you must do everything our way or we will not participate in it. Jesus could have said overthrow the evil governments. He did not. He said pay your taxes. Live in an oppressive rule. Christians living in Turkey or Christians living in Saudi Arabia, Christians living across the world do not have the right to go and say, you've got to change your government to meet all of my standards. That would be great. That would be a utopia. Wouldn't it be great, amen, praise the Lord, if God's standards were the rule of the day? And, and I almost hear that sentiment when I hear people talk about, it's the way it used to be. Our country was founded by God-fearing Christians. Know your history. Your government was formed by God-fearing people, but they were deists. You'd be hard-pressed to find a born-again believer in that bunch. Thomas Jefferson, which gets quoted all the time, take a look in the museum at the Jefferson Bible. Jefferson was a deist, not a believer. He was a believer that God existed, but that God had no uh, supernatural power in this universe. The Jefferson Bible, he takes out every reference to miracle, including the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's not a born-again believer. 
Yes, God-fearing. And yes, our country was based on some biblical standards. Uh, other countries base uh, some of their standards on, on scriptural texts and things. But our country, I know what everybody wants to say. We're a Christian nation. The term itself infers that all of us are believers, born-again believers, and we're not. And, and some of you still might think the majority of Americans are believers. They're not. We are not a Christian nation as far as that is who everybody is and what everybody believes. Do you know that in a recent poll we found out that in 2021, people refer to themselves as evangelicals, as Christians. When polled about that, 41% of people who call themselves devout evangelical Christians only attend church once every 16 weeks. The definition of Christian, devout, and evangelical is totally morphed. I understand. I'm not against you. I'm with you. It would be great if God's rule was the law. It would be, right? But there are certain things that we would say, man, if they would just do what God says. But we'd probably be having to throw people in jail for committing adultery, wouldn't we? I mean, we probably should prosecute gossips. Somebody say amen. (laughs) You mean God has something to say about those issues too? Uh huh. Yeah. So if you get caught sleeping with somebody other than your wife or somebody who's not your wife yet, adultery, fornication, both against God's word, our country should imprison you. I understand where you're coming from, most of you who want a God fearing country. And we talk about schools. I keep hearing it over and over again. Schools. We took prayer out of schools. Uh Uh-uh. You can't do it. I I don't know how many times I've said that. You, You can't do that. Christians go to public schools. And Christians in those public schools are allowed to pray in those schools. They can even gather before school and after school and during school to pray together. What we're saying is we want adults to go in and lead prayer. You don't want that today. I know you think you want that, but you wouldn't get what you think you're going to get. If we wanted to mandate prayer in schools today, it would be Hare Krishna Monday, uh, you know, Muslim Tuesday. It would, you know, you're going to be mandating something that you don't want in today's world. I know what you want. You think you want to go way back. I know. It always, grass is green. It's always, remember when, remember, that's not who America is today. How do we live today in a government? Well, let's talk through some definitions so you can understand some things today, what we learned through Scripture. Number one, let's define church. I love this definition. There's a lot of definitions for what church is, but the gathering of the body of Christ, a community of faith in which God's relationship with man in Christ attains its full visibility. I just love that. That might not be your definition of church, but it's the gathering of believers. That's what church is. We're a gathering of believers in Jesus Christ. What's politics? Politics is the activities associated with the governance of any country or other area, especially the debate or conflict among individuals or parties having or hoping to have achieve power. Politics, church, politics, church. If you were to ask me today, should Christians be involved in politics? That's a whole different discussion. We're talking about church. Everybody say church Church. and politics. Christians come together as the body of Christ. As Christians, you obey what Jesus said about governments. Christians should live 
above reproach in any governing system. If you're a Christian in Saudi Arabia, you'd be a Christian in Saudi Arabia. If you're a Christian in America, be a Christian in America. So be involved in politics. I'm not trying to discourage government. I think governments are established by God, and God is about order, right, and organizations. All things done well. Creation itself shows us God is a God of order and organization. Therefore, government should be in order and organization. So should Christians be in politics? Yes. Yes, we need Christians in politics. We need Christians in movies, and we need Christians in music. We need Christians in theater. We need Christians in art. We need Christians everywhere. Do we need all art to be Christian art? No, we just need more Christians making good art. Do we need more Christian movies? Gosh, help us know. They're usually horrible. But we need Christians making good movies. Do we need a Christian uh, government? We really need Christians involved in government. And we pray for all of you. My points today come from a a pastor of a church uh, on Capitol Hill. And he was talking to his congregation, who most of them work down the street. (laughs) And he gave his message to that audience, whatever aisle they live on. And these are the points I want to share with you today. It's about church. Everybody say church. church. And I don't know if I made the distinction clear enough. You as an individual believer should live a life out there. Church is when we come together as a body of believers, and when we do that, we lay down some of our preferences. The only way you can have a community is if you lay down some of your preferences. So we're not talking about the Christian in politics today. You were thinking you were going we're gonna to argue about stuff, right? No, I'm telling you that the church is not the place for that. You as a believer should live out your convictions, biblical, by the way, biblical convictions in this world. You should vote. You should pay your taxes. But when we come together at church, don't expect your pastor to come up and tout a party or a platform. We won't do it. We have one party. We have one platform. It's Jesus Christ. That's who we are about as a church when we come together. So we don't tell you how to vote here. That's kind of why we started this series. We were having a discussion during election time about we should talk about some of these topics, but let's not talk about them when they're heated. We should talk about what the Bible says about certain issues like abortion and about our human sexuality. And we should talk about those issues, but let's not talk about it when it's heated. So we chose to talk about it now when we're not having debates about gun control. Well, we're not even talking about abortion rights, right? We're not even talking about abortion. It's June, right? We thought it would be great, didn't we, Jim? So as a pastor, I'm not worried because I want to tell you what God's Word says about issues. I'm going to talk about applying grace. And then you need to go live as a Christian in this world. But here in the church, we're not a one-party church. We're not a one-program church. We are one thing, and it's about Jesus Christ alone. So let's meet that out a little further. So the big idea today is defining evangelical. Boy, it's, it's been stolen from us, the whole term. Is it a theological term or a political term? Who are my people? So as a Christian, I want to ask you to answer that today in your own mind. Who are my people? Because I'm afraid we define ourselves so poorly today. I, I hope none of you leave here and say, I am a... Put your blank there. I am a... Man, as a believer, there should be only one answer to that. I am a Jesus follower. 
And as a Jesus follower, I also am involved in politics, and this is how I tend to vote. That's not who you are, right? Where's your identity? It's about the church and politics and how we aren't going to get involved and we won't be involved. We were asked, by the way, I don't know if you know this, but a leading uh, uh, candidate who actually is a senator called and asked to be at Oakwood one Sunday. We said, we don't give you the stage. I said, oh, just, we just want to come and maybe meet with people. in the. And you know what? We said, sorry, no. No. We don't do that. We're not going to be about politics and supporting one platform. We're going to tell you what God says. Truth. Everybody say truth. We're going to explain how to apply it in grace. Then we're going to ask you to go and live in this world as you should. Your convictions. The church is not going to be involved in that. So who are your people? I want to take this word. Oh, I wish I could take the word back. I love words and words are important. But evangelical. Do you know that in America there is a voting group, a voting sector, and really that's been the term now for that voting sector, the evangelical vote. Have anybody ever heard that term before? The evangelical vote. But do you know that in that mix is a bunch of people that you shouldn't be referring to as evangelical? Because what does the word evangelical mean? It's not a voting block. Evangelical should not be a political term. It's a theological term. It is from the Greek, eungalion. It's from the Latin, evangelium. Both are words for the good news, which evolved into the word gospel. Evangelical means gospel people. Evangelical should mean people of the good news of Jesus Christ. Let me give you the definition. Evangelical should mean an emphasis on salvation by faith in the atoning death and sacrifice, resurrection of Jesus Christ, the authority of Scripture, and the importance of hearing God's Word preached. An evangelical is somebody who believes in Jesus Christ for salvation and is in their church. You think you're devout today and you come once a month you're not my type of devout. <laughs> if you come once every 16 weeks and you call yourself an evangelical, Bible-fearing Christian, no, no. You, you know what my expectation is as a pastor? Expect you're going to be at church. Amen? If I wake up and I'm sucking air for free, come to church. Why? Because we have an emphasis on preaching God's Word. The church is all about that. That's evangelical. Some of you would call your evangelical voting block your people. But in that mix, do you know that Muslims make up a large portion of evangelical voting? Because they have some of the same opinions on issues. There's a lot of people that are in this block called evangelical today that has nothing to do with what the church is all about. So what I'm trying to explain to you today is why we're not in politics in the church. Lessons from Scripture, both from uh, the two passages, Mark and Romans today. Christians are good citizens. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to do that. Christians are good citizens. Be a good citizen. Not only when the person you want is in charge. Always. Always. Pay your taxes. Ugh. I don't know, you feel just like Rome did. I mean... Could there be a better passage than Mark? A time period when Jesus was asked this question. An oppressive government against everything that these people believed in. I mean, it's perfect. And Jesus could have said, rebel! Jesus could have said, take them over! Don't stop until you get your way! And Jesus said none of those things. He said, pay your taxes. Be a good citizen. Number two underneath that, obey the law. 
Oh, I don't, I don't want to. Well, I do want to. I want on some things and I don't want to honor the things. Let me, let me just tell you, both of these passages I talked to you about today do not include an understanding of civil disobedience. It's not there. I believe in civil disobedience. And it does not say what to do when your government tells you to do things that go against God's word. Those are different issues. Let me just explain the whole coin situation and what Jesus did to get an understanding of that. When Je- it's brilliant, by the way. Uh, remember that coin? Tiberius Caesar, and then on the back, Pontiff Maximus. Caesar is God. Do you hear what Jesus said? Give to Caesars what's Caesars, but to God what's God's. In that statement, he said, Caesar ain't God. He did say it. He's not God. God is God. His face is on it. His title's on it. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but don't miss the latter part of it. Give to God's what's God's. Do you know where God's image is today? Look around you. Look to your right and to your left. You're all made in the image of God. He's stamped on you. His inscription is you. Give God what's God's. So, Frank, can I tell you today, I, I, I wish and pray as a church we could understand that we come together under no other flag, under no other name, under no other thing other than Jesus Christ. And don't let your identify being a party. Don't let your identity be, I am, I am. Jesus didn't say that. He said, give to God's what's God's. You and I, our number one identity is I'm made in the image of God and I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. That's who I am, period. And then lastly, vote. I'm not telling you not to vote. Again, we need Christians in politics, And we need Christians casting their vote based on their biblical convictions. Don't just go vote with your feelings. You should search God's word on every issue and decide what would God say about this and I should vote accordingly. Vote according to God's words. That's what Christians, remember I'm talking about Christians here. As a church, we're not doing any of that. The church doesn't vote as a church. We come to talk to Christians about God's word. So number two, what do we see out of scripture? Number two, we see... Christians are identified with God's kingdoms, not earthly kingdoms. That's what Jesus said. Give to God's what's God's. Don't, don't take sides of governments and just, you know, you're God's people. Be God's people. That's who I am. We are not of this world, but we must live responsibly in it. So who am I? When you're going home today and you're talking about this, I hope you can answer that question. Who am I? I'm a follower of Jesus, period. That's your identity. That's who you are. I'm a follower of Jesus. And then who are my people? This is the big one. (laughs) Who are my people? God's church. That's your people. I know some of you are like, man, my people are the people that just feel the same way I do on every topic. They're my people. Don't make them your people. God's church is your people. And we aren't all united on every thought. And by the way, we got to stop thinking our church has to agree with me on every thought. I mean, go back to the whole idea of pizza. I love talking about pizza. I'm a deep dish pizza guy. I'm a deep dish Chicago pizza guy. So I demand that I have a church that is a Jesus deep dish pepperoni church. All y'all that don't agree, get your own church. You go to the sausage church down the street. Other people that go to go to the thin pizza, you go out of town. Have your church there. Because we're Jesus people. And we only do deep dish pepperoni. 
You know I'm kidding, right? I always use pizza as a safe thing. But, but don't laugh because I've, I've been here. I've been your pastor. I've been here in November as your pastor. And I've heard pepperoni pizza only. Pepperoni pizza only. They're my people. It doesn't sound like what Jesus said about governments and politics and Scripture. We need churches made up of followers of Jesus who love deep dish pepperoni, sausage and green pepper, thin, Jets, barbecue chicken, and God knows we all ought to love Papa Bella's. Amen. Papa Bella's. Papa Bella's anything. Get to be bacon. Their bacon's wonderful. We need people that come to church because we're followers of Jesus. And we might not all be the same on every issue, but that's when I get to my next point. If we're talking about church and politics, Christians are accountable to God. That's where your accountability lies. You are in God's image. Give to Him what's His. That's what Jesus said. Give your whole life. Your whole life. That means your voting decisions. Give them to God. That means your tax time papers. Give them to God. It means you're living in this world where people make terrible decisions and we don't like our governor and we don't like our brother and we don't like it. We don't like Okay, fine. But give respect where respect is due and honor where honor is due. Just quoting Jesus there. So what is this sacrifice of togetherness? Church and politics? Let me do this in just, just a few, few seconds, seconds and we'll be done. I must focus on a common purpose. To come together as a church means to come together with a common purpose. 1 Corinthians 1.10 I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no division among you and that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. We're not going to get there over pizza, are we? Somebody? Is anybody with me on that? Okay, okay. we're not going to get there on politics. We're not. So what are we talking about? The one purpose we all can unite in. Jesus is Lord. Amen? Amen. Those of you who say amen, you're my people. You're my people. Regardless of if you drive Ford or if you drive Chevy. What? Now we're getting carried away here. I told you some of this is going to be controversial. I showed up at my first church as a young youth pastor. I was only 21 years old. And I had the car that my mom and dad had given me at 16. It was a Subaru. My first day at church, I was told, son, you need to sell that and buy an American car. Because if you're going to come to our church, we drive American cars. And do you eat pepperoni pizza? Do you prefer oldies or country? Do you listen to rap? What what church am I going to? I only go to the rap singing pepperoni pizza. (laughs) We've kind of gone down that trail today because there's a church on every corner. Divided, divided, divided so much. We've forgotten that we come together. You sacrifice a lot. I love you people. Even if you don't like my deep dish pizza. I do. (laughs) Because we have a common savior. And that's what the purpose is. That's where we come together and we're in one mind. Amen? One mind. Number two, I must be willing to surrender. The whole idea of coming in community means you must give up something. Romans 14, 19 through 21. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. 
Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes somebody else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brothers or sisters to fall. Now, do you follow your pastor when he uses pizza as the illustration? The illustration here was food. Some people got to the point where they realized, I could eat it all. There were Jewish people that came to Jesus Christ and their believers, and they're having barbecue. And people are like, you can't eat pork. And they're like, but barbecue is wonderful. And Paul comes along and says, yeah, but when you come together, don't have a barbecue party. It would hurt some. Can I play that out for you? As a church... Uh, next weekend, I've been handing out these cards, men. We have a great grill and chill happening at my house. We're going to have hamburgers on the grill. It's going to be great. It's a grill, and then we chill. I'm not going to be serving beer. Do I have anything against beer? Not at all. But when we come together, I'm following Romans 14 principle that there might be some who have had issues with that, and it would be a stumbling block to them. They might show up and say, well, the pastor's serving it. Maybe I should do it again. And it might head them into a place they should never go. And so therefore, you know what we do? We just say, I might like beer, but I'm going to choose not to serve it at my church event because I just think that's Romans 14. Why? We give up certain things to have community. Are you with me? Then don't come here with your hats and your bumper stickers and all the stuff. Don't do it. I just preached you the word of God and we break it. When we come together, you might have preferences. Leave them at the door. Because they're not everybody's preferences. Church in politics, not the Christian in politics. You be a believer in this world. And we'll, we'll build you up here at church. But don't come thinking that your church only agrees with what you think about every issue. We don't. We don't. And in order to have community, we must put down certain preferences for the good of the body. I'm telling you, friends, church and politics, it works me up a little bit. I've even told Melissa, our secretary here, I seriously don't want to go through another November. It was awful. It was awful to be a pastor during COVID. It was worse to be a pastor in November of a national election year. I actually told her I think I might resign. I think I would rather be jobless than go through that again. When we come together, we must be willing to lay down our personal preferences for the good of the body. I must control my tongue and keyboard. Ephesians 4.29 Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. That's a scriptural guidance for everything. In all things, what I speak, what I write, it should build others up, not tear others down. Number four, I must encourage and support leadership. And this is a tough one in America today for say trust your leaders, but Hebrews 13, 17 says, Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that wouldn't be of any benefit to you. So what do we do in the church? Does God have anything to say about government and issues? Yes, He does. Will we preach those? Yes, we will. What does God say? How do we apply it in grace? And then you as believers live that out. 
when we come together, let's come together in unity underneath Jesus Christ, lay down our preferences, love one another. I'd ask you to just to consider what our country has evolved into and how we've become a lot like politics in the church. It's hard to trust your leaders. It's even hard for me as a leader to stand in front of you and say this, but God's structure for the church is He's given some to lead the church. And in just a few moments, the members are going to gather to affirm the leadership slate. We ask that you would be involved in affirming the leaders we put forward to then lead our church. And then they make decisions based on their best attempt to follow God's Word and do what's right. You might not always agree. I remember the phone call I got during the first weeks of COVID. Somebody was explaining me their political views. And I explained to them, well, our elders are meeting and we're talking about doing the best we can. We, we're trying to do the best we can with the information we have, we're trying to love people and, and trying to keep people safe. We're just trying to do the best we can. Yeah, but my political opinions are this. So what am I supposed to do? I'm going to tell you what I answered and I'll still stand by it. You might not like it. When the person asked me, so what am I to do? I said, do what your elders tell you to do. And you're like, oh, that doesn't sound very American. They have a right. Well, when we come together as a church, can I say it again? We're coming underneath the authority of Jesus Christ and he set up the structure and the elders make decisions. So we follow that. We follow that. There came a point when I asked people to wear a mask from that door to these seats. I counted it. It's 21 steps. I got called all sorts of names. At a meeting of our leadership with elders and deacons, I said, if you can't walk from that door to this door with a mask on because we ask you to, what are we doing? What are we doing? And I know that's a politically heated thing. You're like, yeah, but oh, I, I want to talk to you about masks. I want to talk to you about masks. I, I, I don't, you know what? I don't like masks either. I hate, I've always hated masks. You know, the other day I went to my, uh, Home Depot. Home Depot changes the rules like weekly. About a month ago, I went to the door and I thought, I thought we were past this thing. I went to the door of Home Depot and it says, we kindly ask that everyone wears a mask. You know what I did? I went back and got my mask. Did I want to? No, but they asked nicely. You're like, that's a big wimpy wimpy you should go in there and you should tell them how you should go in there you should walk around without a mask and you should just breathe on everybody <laughs> oh that's oh that's wonderful loving that's that's wonderful loving you know what i did i had lunch with a guy in our church who, who just doesn't like masks at all and he hadn't worn one from the beginning you know what i had lunch with him i said oh but they asked nice and so i did it and you know what we had lunch we don't have to agree on every little detail we don't you do how god leads you I'll do how God leads me as we're out there in this world. But when we come together, if the elders for some strange reason got together this Tuesday and said, we want everybody to wear blue next Sunday. I don't know why they would do that. I shouldn't use blue. That could be termed political. Fuchsia. We want everybody to use, wear fuchsia next Sunday. I'd start looking for my, what do I have that's fuchsia? I don't really have much, but... 
Am I willing to lay down preferences in order to be a part of the body of Christ, to come together underneath one banner, underneath... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's hard in America today, I know. It's hard to say trust your leaders in the church, but that's what we're saying God says to do and that's what we're asking you to do. So you go home and debate this. You talk about politics and the Christian, politics and the church, and see if you can't come to this understanding that when we come together, your pastor's not going to tell you which party to vote with and which uh, specific things to vote for or against. We're not going to do that. We're going to tell you about Jesus. We're going to tell you about living in a godly life in an ungodly world, and we'll leave it at that. Amen?